possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. Med Device Unleashed, Episode 7, Back in the Saddle. Back from a small hiatus, so I apologize. Just didn't get around to recording anything, had a couple life things come up, but nonetheless, we're here and we did record a beautiful episode with Dr. Ed Garcia, co-founder of Space City Pain Specialist. Dr. Garcia has been a friend of mine for a number of years, actually one of my first sales calls when I moved to Houston and we've been friends ever since and he's been a client of mine and and every stop along the way career-wise for me here in the state of Texas. He's more than qualified to get on this podcast. Dr. Garcia is triple board certified anesthesia and pain medicine. He does his residency and medical degree at Baylor College of Medicine. He's the clinical assistant professor for the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Texas Medical Branch here in Galveston, Texas. And he is fluent in English and Spanish. He's been in practice for over 20 years. He runs a very successful practice here in the Houston area, South Houston to be exact. And one thing I love about Dr. Garcia is, and you'll find out in this episode, guy does not blow smoke. He's very upfront. And I had him pegged to come on the podcast from day one because he delivers a lot of good insight and frankly delivers advice to reps like us, myself included. And he did this in the beginning when we first met that maybe you don't want to hear it, but it makes you better. And so with that, let's get this party started. Dr. Ed Garcia, here he is. This is the first doctor we're going to have on the podcast. So this is Dr. Eduardo Garcia, a Space City Pain Specialist co-founder. How are you, Dr. G? What's up, man? Jamie, call me Ed. You know better. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> calls me Eduardo other than my mother. Come on. Eduardo. No. Um, all right, Ed. All right. Glad we cleared that up. So, uh, no, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us, man. I know you have a very busy schedule at home. You got the family going on. and Of course. Of course. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it's it's an honor to have you. So, and we've had a lot of different conversations just about reps in general and and medical device sales. I mean, you deal with a lot of medical device salespeople and just salespeople really in general coming in and out of your office. I certainly do. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I wanted to bring you on to get a couple thoughts just for the listeners on a, a multitude of topics, really. But I wanted to start out really kind of just gun it right at you and say, what do you think the top three qualities are in a medical device representative that you look for? So I'm going to say number one is it's got to be somebody who's genuine. There's nothing worse than having a sales rep come into my office and you can tell right away that either they don't really care about their product and they're because they got the job and, and that's the only job they can get. And they really, you know, you can smell that kind of absolute just, you know, faking it through just because they have to be there kind of thing. Once you perceive that, I shut down. You have to be genuine. And the only thing that I can say is if you're going to be, if you're going to sell something, better just not to take a job, even if you need the job, until you find a product that you actually can genuinely get behind. Because people notice it. I mean, I certainly notice it, you know, when you can see that somebody, because even if somebody doesn't understand the product yet, even if you're a newbie at it, you don't understand, the enthusiasm comes through. The enthusiasm about the product and the genuineness of the individual, right? So, and and by genuine also, I mean, being genuine in terms of your personality, you know, don't try to be somebody or 
or forecast some kind of a, a personality onto me that it's not really, that's not really you, you know, because there's nothing worse than somebody trying to portray something because they think that I want that person to act like this or like that. Just be yourself. And you know what? If yourself isn't good enough, well, frankly, you know, better to know early on and find a different job in some other way, you know. I mean, if you're if not good at sales because of your personality, well, better to learn it early on. But don't try to be somebody you're not, right? I mean, once anybody who's in medical sales, when they're in their early 20s, you are who you are. You know, of course, you're going to learn some more over time. You'll mold yourself. You'll be a little bit different. But don't try to uh, pretend to be somebody that you're not. Because that disingenuousness will come through. Yeah. So stop traffic real quick because we're going to stick on number one for one second. So what do you when you say someone comes in and they're distant, they're just not genuine. They just they lack passion. Right. Essentially, that's what I got from it. Too. They're not passionate about the product. Not only do they lack passion, but you can tell that they're, you know, when they're when they're talking to you about it, when they're trying to to go through the motions you can tell that this is not something that they're necessarily wanting to get behind. And, you know, it's one thing to be, to be confused about your product when you're starting early on, you're not, or you're not quite sure about the competitors and everything else. But if you genuinely feel that your product really is the best, even though you might be wrong, but if you feel that it's the best, I like that. I like somebody who is going in to fight for their product Again, even if your product isn't the best product, but you know, hey, if you you almost kind of have to drink the Kool Aid and believe it, right? No, you have to. Yeah, you don't have to drink it. You have to literally just chug it chug because it. you really have to. Because to your point, if you're not at Jamie chugs beer, you know. Oh Friday my god! <laughs> Whatever. No, you do have to be passionate about it. I agree because me personally, and I would hope this is this way with most salespeople. I mean, I really don't care what you're selling. You have to be, and I've said it before in the podcast, you got to be passionate about the product. So that's number one. You got to be genuine. What's number two? So number two is I'm looking for somebody who actually wants to care for patients because too many times what I've found in reps that have been failures for me are reps that care more about me and trying to please me versus trying to please the patient or do what's best for the patient. So they'll come to me and they, you know, they want to take me out for drinks and smoking cigars and hey, let's go to a steakhouse and sit down and have some whiskey and talk. And, you know, they're all about pleasing me. But then when my patient needs something, you know, they're, they're not answering their phone and they're not really they're not really that interested in truly taking care of the patients. They're more interested in taking care of me because they see me as the client. And what they really need to be seeing is my patient is the client. You know, I'm just, I'm somebody who's there. You're part of my team. When I look at medical device reps, I see them as part of my team. They are, you know, I am part of one part of a cog that that uh, of a whole wheel set that has to take care of the patient and everybody has to do their job whether it's the receptionist in the front my ma in the back the biller myself my scribe my clinical assistant and my medical uh, device rep because they have to make sure that the patient is getting the quality care that they need so if they don't see themselves as part of my team and instead see themselves just as me being their client 
that's a big strike against him, man. Big strike against him. So, you know, I've told this straight up to reps before. Look, stop trying to please me. Please my patience, and that will please me. That's really well said, man. It's it's so true. And we'll get into that more in detail later than the podcast when I have you talk about interventional pain medicine and, and kind of what you do and the different types of, of device jobs that are out there potentially for people. But let's number three, what do you got for us, man? Number three is don't try to sell me a product. Sell me a business, a business model. The product should sell itself, right? It's either clinically relevant to me or it's not. It's either going to be a good product on its own merit or it's not. If it's a good product, great. Well, then it sells itself. You know, I don't need you to sell me the product. What I need you to do is to show me how to develop the business so I am increasing my overall business and thereby selling more of your product. If you can show me how to increase my business, you're on my team, man. So let me ask you this. So you're talking about it's to essentially you like reps that have business acumen, that yeah, understand that understand their industry, understand yeah, obviously you have to know your device, but that shouldn't take very long, right? I mean, most reps will understand the ins and outs of their device within a few months, and that's expected, right? You're going to go through a training, and you're going to kind of, with some experience, learn a lot more about your product. But that's, I mean, that's something that's kind of a given during your training. But beyond that, you've got to be able to come to me with a business model of how are, how are, are you going to help me to bring in more business so I can use your product on more people. You know, if it's a good product, I'm going to use it on its own merits. You don't have to, again, sell me that. And I don't need you to take me out for drinks to, to do that. Again, I really don't care about that. I'm, I'm just not that guy. I'm the guy that wants to see great outcomes. I'm the guy that wants to see great care for my patients. And so if you're going to bring me the passion for your product, a great product, okay, I'm sold on the product. If you're going to bring me good clinical care for my patients and then show me a business model, man, you're on my team for, for life. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're on my team for life. If you bring that, I I think, (laughs) I think most reps miss this. And so this is why I have you on the podcast, Dr. G is that you you tell it how it is. And most people won't, you don't blow any smoke. Right. And so, and you never have from day one, since the first time I called on you. Okay, smoke is being blown. It's not, it's not something you do. So, no, and, and for the most part, you know, I'm very honest with my reps. You know, I will help them. I'll teach them. I'll tell them where I see their deficiencies. I'm very, for the most part, you know where you stand with me. That's a good thing. Sometimes I can be a bit blunt, but, but at least you know where you stand with me. And I think most reps respect that from me because they know, hey, you know, it's, I'm wasting my time with Garcia or I'm not. And sometimes it's not your fault at all. It's just there's a better product out there. And as much as I might really believe in, in your passion and as much as you might want to bring me more business, if there just happens to be a better product out there that at least that I believe is a better product, then I'm not going to put what I believe is an inferior product into my patients, right? I mean, every patient I treat like family and that's what I'm going to do. For my mother-in-law, I'll put a, an inferior product in my mother. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Folks. Yeah, we'll be yeah, we'll be sure to tell Kelly about that. <laughs> so that brings up an interesting point too, as well. It's like you made a great, a couple good points there, but you made a good point in saying, "Hey, you might be able to bring me a good business model, but your product doesn't meet my needs too." So it's not like you can just bring me a good business model and treat my patients good, and then I use your product. Or there's that's no like exactly, there's no way of cutting those three things out, right? You've got to bring that's exactly right. that's those exactly three right. things. 
with you yeah. at the same time. So no, man, that's exactly because I, I, I was hoping you were going to bring exactly what you just brought, because I think a lot of reps miss the fact and you said it earlier. I believe you said you got to sell something about selling the patience. You just you had a quote there where you were like, look, don't sell me the product. You're going to have to sell me on treating my patients. Don't don't try to please well, me. Please my I, patients. Is, you know, yeah, I'm not the client. My patient's the client. Right. right? Exactly. Help, help treat my patient. And that way you will make me happy. And, and that brings me to my next my next point. And so in medical device, Dr. G, you may not be aware, you may be aware, but a lot of times when people think medical device, they automatically go to extremity, trauma, ortho, total knee, total hip type of things. Okay. And so one of my passions obviously is interventional pain management. Okay. This is specialty that I'm currently up right then and there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm too, it's, I'm in too deep now. I can't get up. No, no. Interventional pain management. What? Or medicine. Excuse me. (laughs) Interventional pain. (laughs) You know better than that. I know. I know. All right. Interventional pain medicine. It's my passion. Okay, and so I want to further educate the medical device community that maybe isn't aware of interventional pain medicine and the types of devices you guys are using. So one of the things, and I know we talked about a little bit before the podcast, is just very generally, don't have to talk about the technologies you use or anything, but just give me or give the listeners really an overview of some of the devices that you are using in your practice today in 2020 that they might be able to look at different companies that sell these devices for jobs down the road. Yeah, I mean, the, so one of the beauties about interventional pain medicine, you know, is we're in a bit of a golden age, if you will, in terms of the truly the interventionalist, because there's such a pushback on opioids. You know, if you look back in my field, and I've been practicing for 23 years now this year, if you look back in the 90s, you know, there was such a huge emphasis on opioid use. And, you know, I, we're not going to talk about all the details of how, how things swung around from one pendulum, one side of the pendulum to the other. But right now we are definitely in an anti-opioid mode as a, as a nation, which we should be, by the way. And so for us, the interventionalists, this is a perfect opportunity. And for companies really to help us, it's a perfect opportunity because we are First of all, we're learning more about the mechanisms of pain, which then opens the door to ways to treat these things, right? So some of the conditions are biomechanical in nature. So companies will develop biomechanical type products and other things are more related to neuroplasticity or neurological changes in the nervous system. And so you may have either devices that can work with neuroplasticity or even chemicals that do it or devices that deliver chemicals, right? So there's a variety of things that, that are on the market now to either help control the, the biomechanical pain, if you will, whether it's uh, neurological compression from structures like you know, ligaments and, and bones, so you scrape out some of that stuff, to various devices meant to stimulate the nervous system, either electrically or chemically, pumps that deliver things, different things that, that will, will fuse, things that, you know, it's, it really is kind of a blend of, you know, some orthopedics and some neurosurgery and some neurology even. There's just a variety of ways that we can start working on the nervous system to help to suppress what I consider bad pain. Right. So most of what I work with 
is in the realm of what I call bad pain. Because pain in general, you know, I mean, it, it takes a bad rap. Let's be honest, you know. We all talk about pain like it's the worst thing in the world. Why? Of course, because it hurts, right? It's bad. But let's be frank, if it wasn't, you know, we evolved with this ability to sense tissue injury for a reason. And the reason is that it helps us survive. If it was, if we didn't feel pain and do something about it, as a species, we would have died off. Because imagine, I mean, you wouldn't know that you had an infection. You wouldn't know that you had a broken bone. When you hurt, you actually allow yourself to rest that extremity or to seek help and, and get better, right? That's, that's the classic pain we all feel, the good pain. And I'm not that involved in it. I am to some degree. There are certain conditions that, that are acute pains that, that I get involved with and help. But most of what I treat is, is the more chronic stuff, the, what I call the bad pain, where people's either because tissue injury is untreatable or because the nervous system changes and creates havoc and problems. And those are the ones that I end up treating and trying to improve their quality of life. So there's a lot of different areas of this where medical device companies are coming in and innovating like crazy. I mean, the field right now is exploding with innovation. Again, everything from what we talked about, plus there's the biologics that's starting up. I think that's going to be a big area of the future. We're learning more and more about how some of the supporting cells for the nervous system can be disease, the glial cell problems, and how the disease of the supporting cells actually affect the neurons and create havoc there. And, you know, frankly, people are, are now starting to use mesenchymal stem cells to actually inject into the spinal canal. And I can see a future where you can inject that through a pump in, during various moments. I mean, there, there's likely going to be some kind of really almost maybe an evolution, but more like a revolution of biologics that's probably going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years. You know, and a lot of this is primed for the field of interventional pain medicine. Yeah, no, and, and regenerative medicine, I know you have a huge passion for that, Dr. G. And I do want, I do want to get into that. But one of the things I wanted you to touch on and do a, just dive into a little bit of detail on is, is obviously a major device in our space that we live in day in and day out. And that's, that's spinal cord stimulation just as a whole. And there's just a lot of different companies that are doing this, right? And so I think that because there's a lot of companies doing it, there's a lot of opportunity for jobs, right? And so, if you can explain to the listeners just at a high level what you do for spinal cord stimulation, just in terms of like the procedure itself. So they haven't, cause I don't, this is totally misunderstood and it's not, it's just not brought up in any medical device space on the regular. And I, and I really wanted to change that. It's part of the reason why I started this podcast. Sure. To educate people a little bit more, right? Yeah. So kind of high level spinal cord stimulation is, is just basically it's a way of modulating or changing our nerve impulses through electricity instead of chemicals, right? So if you think about the nervous system, it's basically cells that communicate with each other and they do so through chemical interactions between axons, dendrites, or, you know, the two, the two little endings of the nerve. And then through electrical impulses that occur across the axons, or those are the the long tentacles of the nerves, cells, if you will. So these are extremely long tentacles. And so they respond to electrical discharges or electrical fields that are applied around them will create or change the polarity of the nerve cell, which ultimately may lead to a signal. 
right? So the nerve signal can travel along that axon as an electrical conduction. And then once it reaches the end, then it releases chemicals, which then go and activate the next nerve and then sends another, fires down another electrical signal, right? So you can manipulate what's going on in the nervous system, either chemically, which we do all the time with the medicines that we take, or electrically by applying different discharges of electricity over different parts of the nervous system. For example, in Parkinson's disease, you can discharge electricity in the brain so that you create dopamine. That can help, you know, these folks with Parkinson's, they, you know, you see them shaking and stuff. Part of that is related to a lack of dopamine in their brain so that you can actually stimulate a part of the thalamus and create a discharge of dopamine that then reduces this problem. And so, you know, using electricity to stimulate the nervous system has been around for a long, long time. Actually, the first uses of it for pain were back in the days of the Greeks when they used to use electric eels to treat different painful disorders. And, you know, it's described in some of the Greek literature. So the concept dates back for a while. And, and in the modern age, using electricity dates back into the 70s. So this has been around for a while in terms of stimulating different parts. So we talked about the brain. You can also stimulate the spinal cord. You can stimulate the nerve roots, which are the parts of the spinal cord, if you will, that run out once they form what we call the first order neurons. In other words, the very first nerves that either go out or are coming in or signaling out or signaling in. So that's the nerve root. And then you can stimulate a peripheral nerve too. And so they make devices that stimulate all of those areas, the brain, the spinal cord, the nerve root, or the peripheral nerves. So there are different devices in the market that will will create an electrical field around any of these. So if I'm a stimulator rep and I'm in the OR, what is expected, if you're the doctor, what is expected of a stimulator rep during it? Let's just say, because there's two phases, right? There's the trial phase and then there's the implant phase. So can you... Right. So let's talk about that. That's the other nice advantage of, the, of using a stimulator for patients. And they really appreciate that. Unlike a, most surgeries where you, you don't know the outcome. You think you know the outcome, and you know, there are studies that might show you that an outcome might you know, do this or that, but you don't necessarily always know the outcome, especially when it comes to painful conditions and spinal surgeries. There, the outcomes really tend to get blurred. Now, sometimes it's pretty straightforward, an acute disc herniation. You, you, you're, the patient's pain pattern is exactly with pressure on, you know, what it should be with pressure on that nerve. You take the pressure off the nerve, they get better, right? So some things are very straightforward. Others are not, though. And complex surgeries may have poor outcomes. So the good thing about a spinal cord stimulator or a peripheral nerve stimulator or a dorsal root ganglion stimulator, anything outside of the brain, let's say, is you get to test it first by placing a testing wire in the position that you would put the final wire and then tape it to the outside of their body and run with an external box and then essentially simulate exactly what you're going to do on a permanent implant and send them home and let them use it for a week or so and see if it works for them. And that way the patient knows ahead of time they feel very comfortable then going in for surgery. So once they test it, they run it, they do if they do well, and we look generally for three things improvement not only in their subjective pain score, you know, the, the classic zero to 10 pain score, 
But we also look at function. So I always ask patients to determine what their baseline function is and can they double that up. In other words, if you could only walk a block, can you walk two blocks? If you normally can only do 15 minutes of, of house chores, you know, whether it's sweeping or changing uh, the linens or whatever housework chores that you're doing, if you could only do it for 15 minutes, can you now do it for 30? You know, sleeping also is another function or activity. You know, if you can't sleep more than a couple of hours because of your pain, can you now sleep four hours? So we really focus also on functional improvement. And then the third thing is if they're taking a breakthrough type pain pills, can you reduce that by half? So if the person's taking four coatings a day, can they go down to two? You know, so the, these are all the things that we look at in, on when we're testing. And if it works, then we go forward and do the implant. Now, the rep plays a critical role during the trial. It's very important that they are engaged and involved. So the rep actually literally, for me, my reps are calling that patient every single day during the trial and understanding where they fall because modifications to the stimulus needs to happen. Usually the very first stimulation program that the patient leaves with from the hospital is not necessarily the one that's going to work for them during the trial. So they have to be on top of it, talking to them, and eventually modifying or adjusting that stimulator electrical field that it's that it's producing. And then, you know, after, again, a week or so, you have an idea of whether this thing worked. But, the, but it's really important for the rep to be involved and to be patient because these patients do not understand the technology. You know, more often than not, they're elderly folks and, you know, they really don't understand the technology. So my reps is, or any rep really that is involved in spinal cord stimulation in particular or in neural stimulation, no matter what you're stimulating, really has to be patient and understanding because the, the stuff is pretty high tech and really be able to walk that patient through the process because it's not always easy. Right. And the thing is, and just to clarify the, for the listeners too, because I'm, although I'm not in this field directly, I, I do know a lot of people and a lot of close colleagues that are in this field. And it's critical and people that like patient care, and you can really tell the passionate people for passionate STEM reps. You can really tell because yeah. they enjoy the interaction with the patients. You will get calls. More or less, sometimes at all hours of the night, right? Depending on what where they are in the yeah, trial yeah, phase. Yeah. This is not this is not a uh, you know use your product and goodbye kind of a field. It is not at all. I mean, you know, a lot of you know orthopedics or whatever. You know, you you do your implant or you do whatever it is that you're going to do, and you know, so long you probably not see that patient again. Not when it comes to spinal cord stimulation. So even after the trial is done and you do the implant, there's usually a period of time at the beginning where that stimulator has to be properly tweaked. And that could take weeks or it could take months. And sometimes when even if they're doing well, come six months to a year later, it has to be retweaked, either because it's too strong or too weak or the leads have migrated a little bit or whatever. So the rep has to be comfortable with clinical engagement on a long-term basis with the patient. Now, again, that that goes down significantly as the months go on, especially if it's working. But you have to understand that that is a patient that you're going to be dealing with as long as you're, you have that job position. 
And obviously we're sitting here, we're talking about this and my mind's just going nuts because I just, I love this field and everything. I mean, the, the amount of things that you can do, I mean, that patient comes back, they could have multiple things going on, right? The simulator tackles one type of pain. They could have some kind of mechanical portion happening. They could have, so that patient is definitely, it's not a one size fits all. It's not the business we're in. And so one thing I really, I do like a lot too, and I have a lot of interest in is this pain pumps, right? the intrathecal pumps. And so I can't stand when you meet someone and they're like, you know, I tell them what I, what I do in the field that I'm in. And they're like, oh, isn't that mostly just pills? Somebody who doesn't understand, right? And so I love to educate people on say, that's the last thing that these docs want to do, right? There's a time and a place for it and they manage people with it. Right, right. Well, that, that gets to my point that I made earlier when you uh, mentioned pain management and I'm rolling my eyes in my head because you know how much I, I hate that term. And the reason I hate that term is because, frankly, the term pain management is kind of where this field started 20 years ago or 25 years ago or whatever. They called it pain management, but it has evolved into a dirty word, both from uh, the standpoint of most kind of the general terminology that people hear on the streets you know, in the news, you know, when, the, when especially years back when you had all these, all these investigative reporters going into these pill mill clinics that were truly pill mill clinics. I mean, there was basically cash for, for drugs. And from a legislative standpoint, there's even laws in Texas and in other states that specifically are called pain management bills or laws that are meant to crack down on pill mills. So the problem is that both in terms of, of legislators as well as in the general public, the term pain management has come to, to be tied to pill mills, okay? And if there's one thing that makes it the easiest to understand in terms of what I do versus obviously a pill mill is I practice medicine. Pill mills do not. Pill mills... All there really are is a legalized drug distribution center. But what I do is I practice medicine, just like any other physician, you know, whether it's a, you know, any other surgical specialty, ENT or ortho or, you know, urology or whatever. A patient comes into my office. What do I do? I get a history. I examine the patient. I order whatever studies need to be ordered. And I formulate a diagnosis and a plan to treat the diagnosis. It's, it's, it's just the practice of medicine. And so doing practicing medicine obviously can be complicated. We don't always understand the diagnosis and we don't always have a treatment, even if we do understand the diagnosis. But we do our best and we practice medicine. And that includes putting the patient's safety at the very top, right? These, quote, pain management clinics, again, these pill mills, they don't give a crap about a patient's safety. You know, they'll, they'll dole out however many pills that patient wants to pay for. It has nothing to do with the practice of medicine. So the easiest way to distinguish between what I do and the run-of-the-mill pill mill that's, that's all seems to be, you know, kind of a cancer in, in our country is I practice medicine and they do not. It's as simple as that. That's why what I do is pain medicine, not pain management. Pain medicine. Yeah, I can't believe. Yeah, pain I, medicine. That's what we're here. That's the easiest way. And I knew that too. And I still, st- I still messed that one up right in the beginning. Yeah, that's okay because it's so prevalent, right? I mean, everybody, you know, you hear it all the time. And, you know, I kind of have to deal with it 
And I try not to, you know, I don't want to be that guy that goes around telling everyone to, to change what they're saying. But in your case, I thought it's, it's important to educate your listeners because it really is important to distinguish who you're dealing with. You know, you want to deal with a doctor who you can, t- and this is to every, I've, I've run into plenty of sales reps who absolutely tell me they go into some clinics and it's frightening. They know that good medicine is not being practiced, if any medicine, at all. And it's just the patients are treated like ATM machines. And even specialists like myself that basically just run the patients through just to put a stimulator test trial and everybody that they can without even caring whether it's 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 the right patient for it or not. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there. And the reps will recognize, you know, what doctors are actually practicing medicines and which ones aren't. And they need to, you know, be aware of that. No, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I wanted to tell you, too, in, in reference to the pill mill thing, I always, again, I want to get back to the fact about the intrathecal pump is it, this is so we've talked about spinal cord stem, right? So that's an area that, that reps can go into. Another area is intrathecal pumps. And this is intrathecal therapy. This is an interesting area because this allows physicians, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. G, but this allows physicians to deliver medication directly to the area with non-addictive qualities. So this is, they're, they're receiving the pain relief without some of the risk of addiction. That is correct. You know, and, and also with a reduction in, in a lot of the collateral side effects that you see from from opioids or some other medicine. So targeted drug delivery is basically, you're saying, okay, I can't do anything with this patient in terms of their problem. You know, they have a a medical problem, an injury, if you will, that's chronic and that cannot be reversed. And they have severe, quote unquote, bad pain, which is debilitating them, disabling them, creating not only physical problems, but mental problems as well because of the ongoing suffering. So at this point, you just need to be able to stop their pain and do so in the healthiest way possible. And so targeted drug delivery, I like to correlate it to chemotherapy, you know. So if you have, you know, most chemotherapy now goes through and destroys all kinds of cells in your body, right? Your hair follicles, your gut cells. That's why people just have tremendous diarrhea, their hair falls out. It affects so many other organ systems in their body, you know, wasting and atrophy of their muscles and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the medicine goes everywhere just to target a small amount of cancer cells, right? So what you want to have is a cancer treatment that specifically targets those cancer cells and leaves all your other body cells alone, right? So that would be a targeted drug delivery. So similarly here, what we do is we say, okay, one of the biggest issues, for sure, that we have a, in terms of getting the medicine to the nerve cells is crossing through the infamous blood-brain barrier. So the blood-brain barrier is basically the lining of the brain, which creates a very difficult permeability to most chemicals. So think of it like a water balloon, because that's kind of what your brain and your spinal cord are, are, are floating in. You can imagine kind of a water balloon, you stick some water in it and then have the brain and the spinal cord floating in there. That's kind of what's going on. So that water balloon would be that barrier. So usually to to get enough medicine past there and into the nervous system, you've got to so overwhelm your bloodstream with such large doses 
that it's circulating everywhere in your body and, and affecting all your other organ systems. And it's circulating up to your brain and everywhere else, right? So if what you want to do is suppress some signals at the spinal cord level before it even gets to your brain, well, if you poke a hole in that water balloon and slide a little tube in there and put that tube right where you want it on the spinal cord down low, then drip a tiny amount of drug right there at that spot of the spinal cord, you can actually suppress signals from getting to the brain without making a person, A, feel medicated, and B, it gets trapped in that water balloon and it's not circulating in your blood going everywhere. So that targeted drug delivery, of course, the you know, common name is the pain pump. But really what we're talking about is is targeted. Because you say a pain pump, everyone immediately, yeah, oh, it's, it's a bunch of drugs that you're feeding somebody. I you cannot know, win. Blame everything for the pain I pump. Can't win, Dr. G. I cannot win. Pain pump, pain <laughs> management. No, it, it's – um, and so – from a rep standpoint, I'm just kind of going in a little bit of a, of a cycle here. So your intrathecal therapy reps, okay, what do, what do you expect from them and what do they do that's a little bit different? Because I know it is different from the spinal cord stem reps. So. Yeah, so actually their involvement is much more involved inside the operating room where there is certainly greater involvement. The spinal cord stimulator rep, for the most part, should be just handing equipment over to the surgical tech. And then if your device is one that, that requires paresthesia, then they, they need to be involved in that and in, in finding the central point of paresthesia or the central point of stimulation. And so they're involved in, in terms of that, but their involvement is more limited. Now, the, the pump rep actually in the OR is, is much more involved. You're using drugs, they're making calculations, they're measuring catheters, they're helping you and, and throughout the case. So it's a lot more involved during the case. After the case, really, for the most part, the doctor and their staff should be pretty well trained on program. At that point, it becomes knowledge about the drug and programming. And There's multiple drugs that are used in these pumps, not just opioids, but you have sodium channel blockers, you have N-calcium channel blockers, you have alpha-2 antagonists, and I mean, there's a, a variety of drugs. So it's not just opioids. And so when you, when you look at, you know, at that point, the doctor and his staff or her staff needs to be really knowledgeable about how to program those pumps. Now, some of the reps are, or another job of the reps is to continue their involvement in helping in programming. And at times they may have to go to a hospital because somebody is there and nobody else has a programmer and the, and the, doctor and doesn't have privileges at XYZ hospital because they went to an emergency room somewhere. And so they may have to run over there and, and help in terms of uh, programming or, or even just reading the machine and letting, letting that the hospital staff know. So you are more involved. You're not so much involved as much on a day-to-day -day call basis with the patient, but you're definitely engaged. This gets back to another you know, thing that I, I wanted to mention earlier, but we started talking about a different topic. And that is the personality of, of the rep. So, you know, it's so important for the reps or for somebody going into a medical device to know yourself, know what kind of, you know, what, what brings you joy and satisfaction. Because going into stimulator or pumps, you know, you have to be willing to give your time day in and day out, be on call all the time, and be very engaged in that patient's care 
much more so than most other reps. Now, that sounds terrible in terms of, you know, time and, you know, whatnot. But the flip side of it is that you get so many kudos from the patient. Your engagement with that patient will bring those reps. Some of the, the reps that I know absolutely love it because they get just like the bad side of being on call can be a pain in the ass, but the accolades that you get, being part of that team and being told by the patients how much you've changed their lives. I'm talking about the rep now, not just the doctor and their staff. It's powerful stuff. And some, you know, some people just eat that up. Obviously I do as a doctor. That's one of the reasons why I got into this, right? I mean, that's, you know, I got into this to get people better and I want to hear that they're better. But as a rep too, that's what drives a lot of reps. They love that and being engaged. And for some reps, some of my, some of my patients become their patients and some of them, you know, like become friends over time. And it's really, you know, again, it's, it's about your personality. If you're not somebody who likes that engagement, then don't go into these particular types of sales jobs. No, and that's Dodger G spot on, man. Because a flip, right, flip that around a little bit. And you're saying that they can be advocates, but if that rep's not doing their job, just in these two particular areas we're talking about, you hear about it as the doctor because you are in the room with the patient. And they're saying, I tried to call X rep or I tried to contact somebody. I couldn't get a hold of someone. They didn't, or they didn't program me right. Right. Or they didn't do this. You know, it was covering my legs. Now it's not. Or, you know, what have you? I don't know what the issue. I've never actually sold those products. So I, I'm not sure, but I do know that the patient is very, very important in all practice and in, in every facet because you know that patient has a follow up appointment. And so you want to make the best impression you can on on that because that is your customer because that's your physician's customer. That's exactly right. And the engagement in these areas comes in early and it stays late. You have to be engaged with those. As a matter of fact, I engage my rep. I personally engage my rep with the patients even before the device goes in the first time. So normally this requires so much engagement on the reps part that when I am talking to a patient and I identify that this patient is a good candidate for, you know, let's, let's say a stimulator device. And I, you know, I know that, okay, we're at the beginning phases. The way that I engage the patient is always the same thing. I say, we begin by education. I want my patients educated. That's what I'm telling them, right? This is a a complex problem and it requires a complex solution. So I want you to be as educated as possible. So I'm going to give your name to my rep, you know, company X, say Jack or Jill. And Jack or Jill is going to call you and they're not going to talk about the medical because that's what I'm for. But any other, you know, all the other conversations about practical things, you know, what happens when I go through an airport or can I get in a hot tub or, you know, whatever, all the other stuff, they're going to educate you fully on. So we give them, you know, the product DVD or pamphlet or whatever. But then I, so what happens is my staff literally, you know, writes down the patient's information and keeps a stack of it. And then the rep comes by once a week, they get that. And then they call the patients and begin the education. So my reps are engaged with these people. I mean, from the beginning, even before they're needed in the operating. 
Dr. G, this is phenomenal, brother. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So, it, I mean, it, interventional pain medicine, right? You have the simulator, you're engaged with the patient, you're just explaining to the listeners exactly what I was hoping you would. And that's, look, you're talking about being part of a care team. That is an integral part of your business that you're handing over to the representative that you trust at the beginning phases to make sure that, that now, granted, that the medical goes to you, that's a no-brainer. But as the rep, I'm going to tell you, and I know you agree with me, that you need to be able to know how to toe that line, right? So you leave the very complex. You don't want to overstep your bounds with the physician, but you also right, – yeah, You never want to talk about right. you know, complications. Sure. You never want to talk about you know, what, what the medical care is going to be like afterwards. You know, when, when do you take off wounds or how do you do wound care or any of that? You, know, you don't want to – because the patients will ask you. That's the other thing is you've got to be aware – of where you stop because, and, and more than anything for liability's sake, as well as you don't want to give mixed messages, right? I mean, if my practice, if this is how we do wound care, if this is how we do pre-op testing, if this is how we do all the clinical stuff, and you're giving them another message, then it's confusing to the patient, right? So, but they will ask. That's why it's important for the rep, because they'll ask anybody anything. But it's important for the rep to say, well, you're going to have to ask, you know, Dr. Garcia's staff. And so this is where it's unique. This is where the listeners get an inside view on interventional pain medicine devices, man, because they're next level. And this isn't downplaying other devices. And I'm obviously a very biased opinion, but you are literally ingrained in the physician's practice. Oh, yeah. You are part of my health. And that's why that's the other thing, why it's so important to maintain a kind of stability of your rep more so than anything. And if, you know, again, you know, we, it, it can sound like a big pain in the ass to a lot of reps of being that engaged. Maybe that's not their cup of tea. And again, know yourself, right? If that's not your cup of tea, don't go into this particular type of medical device. But on the other hand, for those that really love that engagement and that being a part of somebody's you know, somebody's team and a part of that patient's, an important part of that patient's life, really, then I think to some degree it will give you some job security because once you're part of a certain doctor's team, believe me, the doctor doesn't want to let you go if you're good. And they don't forget. Because you are part of the team. It's, you're not interchangeable. You can't just plug and play. So it does, I think it, it gives, you know, I will go out to bat if my rep who I've been, let's say, have been dealing with for three years, and they're doing a phenomenal job, and they are an integral part of the team. If my rep is being told by their bosses, you know, that they're going to move them somewhere else, or, you know, I call them and say, the hell you are, that person stays right here where they are. And so you're going to get that kind of loyalty from your doctor, which I think really goes a long ways towards job stability. At least I know many times where I've gone to bat and my rep didn't go anywhere. Yeah, no. And I mean, listen, it tackles a couple of different things. You're right. It is job security, but it, it teaches you how to do a lot of different things. But if you're, I will tell you, if you're not down to interact with people, number one, sales isn't for you. But that, And we've talked about a lot of very kind of interactive based devices. And then you go to the other side real quick, Dr. G. And if you want to touch on this is RF ablation. So you're not dealing as much with the patients, right? But you're providing a technology or you're providing your services to a physician and to a high, a high, um, technical, it's highly technical, right. but it's also like, it's done a lot. It's frequent. Yeah, it is. And that's where maybe more the business 
development comes into play more for that particular type of rep. So again, know yourself, right? So going into radio frequency ablation is perfect for somebody who doesn't necessarily care to be that engaged in the patient's life day in and day out. So that that particular rep, then it's going to be more important, A, teaching, teaching the, the hospital staff how to use the device, upgrading, softwares change on these machines, being on top of it, making sure that your physician and the physician's team understands upgrades and changes in the device, and then being there for to develop the business model because RF ablation is a numbers game. Unlike, you know, stimulation and, and intrathecal therapy are much more, you know, it's a low numbers and high cost thing, while these are more large numbers, lower cost, right? So this is, to your point, what you were saying, this is just a lot more volume. So this does become a numbers game, and, and it is where, okay, how can you help me develop the business model there? Be there, be there for me, if you know, for, my, for the hospital staff, this and that, but the engagement with the patient per se is not going to be nearly as much. So the business acumen side of it, and I want to touch on this, and then I also want to touch on your thoughts as far as your staff and in relation to the reps. But from a business acumen standpoint, when they're coming to you, and let's just say, and I know you're open to this, right? So if you come in, you have a good product. You have a, a little bit higher price than the other guy, okay? Because I don't like to think reps are like, oh, I need to get the lowest price. Now, the price has to be right, okay? But what else are you bringing from a business development angle? What can you bring? What's the uniqueness of your device that allows for additional volume? Like what else? And I think that helps. And it's certainly in our, in our thing, because the, I was selling an RF ablation device to you when I first met you. So, and I was not the lowest priced. However, I had other things that I brought. That's right. I mean, so it's all about that business development. And when you're able to bring, and even the RF device that I'm using now, which isn't the same one that you were selling me, you know, it's maybe clinically equivalent, but then you have advantages in other areas. So what you have to do is show where your advantages lie. So even if clinical outcome is not necessarily superior, maybe it's the same or close enough, but the advantages come in other areas, cost savings, time saving, potentially and less post-op pain for the patient, you know, whatever. So if you're able to show advantages in other areas outside of just the clinical response, then you can show where your particular widget is better than the other widget, not necessarily just purely from clinical outcome. So yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got to know where your strengths are in your product and, you know, how you can go, you know, even if you can't go toe-to-toe with the other product in one area, you might be able to go toe-to-toe or beat them up in another area. So you've got to make those points, bring those points across to the to the physician. Any potential for marketing because of the something special to your widget that somebody nobody else has. So maybe you can bring that up and market it certain ways that can actually bring an advantage to your practice over your competitor, the physician's competitor, not just the rep's competitor. But if you can bring an advantage to your physician that you're working with over the physician's competitor, well, you know, then that physician is going to be all over. Yeah. And I will say this, none of this even matters, in my opinion, if the staff isn't on. So maybe not RF ablation, but you had mentioned the staff earlier. You're like, my staff contacts the rep. If you, and I know you've seen this over the years, and I harp on this all the time on the podcast, because I'm a big proponent in building the team in the office, 
no matter what you're selling, the office has to like you. Like, I think that people put the blinders on, reps do, and they're like, doctor, 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 doctor. And that's all they want to focus. And they don't care about the, the staff. But when you leave that office, you better believe that if you don't treat the staff right, I'm not talking about bringing stuff into the office. That's not what I'm talking about. Being friendly, simple social gestures. Because Dr. G, you've been doing this long enough, man. I know that you've seen reps come and go and reps that your office rolls their eyes when they walk through. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so that gets to the point of what we were talking about earlier, that the rep needs to become part of the team. So you as a rep, as you go into that doctor's office, you have to figure out how to integrate yourself into the team. You have to have the staff behind you and the staff to feel like you are actually part of the team. And there's a few different ways to do that. And it's not always through the belly. Right. As a matter of fact, through the belly is probably the least effective, I think. Probably the most effective way that a rep can integrate themselves into the physician's team is to make the job of the staff easier. That is the number one way for a rep to engage themselves with the staff and make themselves part of the team of the doctor. Because what the staff want more than anything outside of being paid more is to be able to work less or work more efficiently, I guess I should say, really. And so if you can take work off of their desk by helping them in some fashion, either getting things approved, because a lot of companies have different uh, uh, portals. Well, yeah, it's, 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 not, it's like their own branches to their companies where, where their whole job is to get things approved, right? So that just immediately unloads something off of the staff. But if you're able to get through, so for example, let's say a doctor regularly does referral letters, sends referral letters, right? If the rep can come in and say, look, I'm going to take this burden off of you. I'm going to take those referral letters and I'm going to, I'm going to handle that. In other words, handling things and taking stuff off of, off of the plate of the staff that have to do with your product, obviously, you're not going to go through and, and do things that aren't, aren't related to what you're doing, but if you can find ways of unloading the staff, that's the number one way that I've seen that the staff loves somebody. If you immediately, oh my God, they're helping me, you know, do this or do that. They're unloading me. That's the easiest way to, to make them care and make them see you as part of the team. And then beyond that, it's about, like you said earlier, Jamie, treating them nice, treating them with respect, making them feel special in, in every step of the way. And then that makes them feel like, okay, I have respect. Yeah. And you know right away too, and I'm sorry, Dr. G, I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I just wanted to say, you got to be empathetic and it's the little things with the office. It's not, you know, they know you're coming in there. They know you have a job to do. These are not stupid people. They understand why you're there. You're there to sell. You are there to sell things. They understand that and they're okay with it. What they're not okay with is not being treated right or being ignored, or, hey, it's all about reps that come in and say, me, I need this, I need this, me, 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 me. They don't last long. You will not last long because the first thing I do is I walk in and I look at something like a head MA, literally the first thing out of my mouth is, how can I make your job easier? That's exactly right. How can I help? Instead of, hey, I need a list of X, Y, Z, or I need this or I need that or can you can you tell me blah 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 about this because I need this for my report or whatever 
No, you go in there saying, how can I help you? How can I figure out how to get these cases moved along? Or do you need any help in calling these patients back or doing what exactly? I mean, you, if you make yourself, because then they see you as part of the team because you actually are being part of the team. Right. You're actually contributing to the team for the win. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, this has been fun. This has been a blast. Man, an hour already went by. That was quick. I know. We should make it too. Go ahead and tell Kelly you're going to be late for dinner. <laughs> Not tonight, man. I'm gonna, I got I to gotta go bring stuff in in case this hurricane actually becomes a reality. Over that's, here, right? that's true. I did. I went and bought some water and everything today. But, man, I – By the way, I, and, you know, really, I hope that everyone who's listening here stays safe through this week and certainly through the whole coronavirus mess. Yeah. I hope your listeners are, are – are, Taking all the necessary precautions, but yeah, me too. God bless us all, man. Let's hope that this stuff, that this hurricane doesn't hit us around here. Yeah, I mean, that's and it would be, you know, two of them at the same time. I mean, it's just, it's kind of unbelievable. But yeah, it looks like Louisiana is going to be taking that hit. That's, I feel terrible. I know, so do I. But I, I will tell you, Doctor G, again, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Physician number one on the podcast. I wouldn't have anybody else on the first, brother. Matters, my friend. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> No, listen, take care of yourself. Tell the wife I said, hey, and we will absolutely have you back. This was awesome. The listeners are going to get a ton out of this thing, man. I just, the more notoriety we can bring to this, this great space that we work in and, and wake up every day in, I, I think is for the better. And, and I'm sure people out there right now had no idea that any of this stuff existed, right? These new people coming out of school, medical sales, college, wherever you're coming from, getting your bachelor's and you want to get into sales. This is another avenue of medical device that I highly, highly, highly recommend. So with that, let's end this thing, man. I will talk to you soon. Take care. You too, my friend. Be good. Stay safe. Public service announcement. Just wanted to throw this in at the end and say thank you to all the listeners out there that have shown love and support for the Med Device Unleashed podcast. It's been a fun ride. We're at episode seven. Just finished that up, going into episode eight. And if you liked this episode or any prior episode, go ahead, leave us a review, hit the subscribe button, and we'll see you soon. 